how much do I talk about this in public? But on the other hand, I've been such a huge believer in us having to, or at least for myself and I, I hope for other women and to encourage other women and men to come forward and speak their truth. And even though that comes with a bit of trepidation, you need to model it. Having that confidence to be able to talk about that this was actually happening to me and has it been happening to anybody else. Welcome to the Intuitive Woman Podcast with your host, Tina Conroy. Gain clarity, confidence, and trust in your inner wisdom. Explore spiritual topics, including intuition, healing, wellness, yoga, vibrant living, and more. Hello, friends. Tina here. I am always so honored that you join me each and every week. So welcome. On today's show, I have Nell Daly as my guest. Nell and I speak very openly and candidly about her spiritual awakening. I think you're going to really enjoy this episode. We cover religion. We cover spirituality. We cover being a woman. We cover spiritual leadership. We cover it all. I think you're going to come away with some really great nuggets. Nell Daly is a highly trained, pioneering, holistic psychotherapist, TV journalist, the podcast host of Unscripted with Nell Daly, and a mom to three. Producers at CNN have named her the Millennials Mental Health Guru, and she appears weekly on Fox as a featured mental health journalist, social commentator, and medical expert. I hope you enjoy the show. I know you will. Hi, Nell. How are you? How are you doing today? Hi, good. How are you? It's so good to be on the show. Oh, I'm so glad to have you. Me too. I can't wait to tell all the listeners about your spiritual awakening. And before we go there, I wanted to bring you back uh, in history and also share with them if you were brought up or religious or spiritual. So yes, when I was a child, I went to Catholic school from the first to the fourth grade. And I would say that I spent a lot of time on my knees praying. I was a super religious child, definitely. I always thought that Christmas was this magical time of year. Whenever something was happening to me that was negative or felt sad or hard, I would pray to myself. I prayed a lot at night. I was a big fan of Jesus and Mary and the Holy Spirit. And then I would say around uh, middle school and high school, I dropped off. I, I was taken out of Catholic school and I went to public school and I just sort of fell out of favor with the Catholic church a little bit. I think also as a, as a woman, I started to feel that it was for me filled with a lot of shame and guilt as I sort of came into myself and started experimenting in terms of like kissing guys. And there was just like all this guilt. Like I took the sitting thing really seriously. I think that was drilled into me as a kid by Sister Frances, especially, uh, God rest her soul. And I did go to Ireland for my junior year in college and I would go into Catholic point, but it was very much to sort of observe the Catholic churches over there, not necessarily to feel like I was full and open-heartedly participating in the masses, people looked really grief-stricken in those churches. Like I remember walking in and they weren't always full and people were on their knees and they seemed like they were in a lot of pain there. It wasn't necessarily a very happy place to be. That was just my experience of it. And then it wasn't until I had my daughter 
And so that was about 10 years ago now. And I lived in the West Village and I would get coffee and I wandered into really early in the morning, I wandered into St. Luke's in the Fields, which is one of the oldest churches in New York City. It's in the West Village. And it was an Episcopalian church. And I fell completely in love with the Episcopalian church at the time. I haven't found anything where I live now to replicate that particular Episcopalian church, but it was incredible for me to see women in the position of power in the church, that men and women were considered equal. It was also LGBTQ friendly, which I thought was amazing. It really preached love. And also it drew from New York Seminary School, which was up in Chelsea. And so I just couldn't believe it was like classic New York. You'd be sitting in the back of this church next to a hedge fund manager and someone who was transgendered. And you'd be listening to the most incredible lecture on faith in the Bible or humanity that you've ever heard. And it was for free. Like it baffled me. It's kind of like when you're in New York and you walk into a jazz bar at night and someone starts singing and you're like, how is this person not selling 10 million records a year? There's just so much talent sort of dripping out the windows of New York. And that was my experience of being in the Episcopalian church. And at that point, though, I started to play with the idea of maybe getting a seminary degree to go back into the seminary. And I started talking to my former husband about it. But as life would take you, that didn't happen. And it wasn't, ironically, until I was 40, uh, which was two years ago, that I had a massive spiritual awakening that's when I sort of really was forced to sort of hit my knees in prayer and meditation and the entire world really opened up to me. So thank you so much for sharing that story. And I had a similar background, grew up in religious and Catholic, and now I would say I'm more spiritual. And the church for me, or just going into, I didn't have that same experience of going into that particular church, but the church has that transformational component to it. So when you go in, you feel transformed and you feel this connection to whatever, you know, God's spirit. Now, most people that have a spiritual awakening always will have what they say, the dark night of the soul. So when you said, you know, you hit your knees and started praying, was your spiritual awakening from something that was a challenge in your life? Yeah. I, although, so I always tell people it's like the phone was ringing as Joseph Campbell says, and like you finally decide to pick it up. So it was a confluence of events that started to happen right before I turned 40, which if you follow tarot was my death year. And I hadn't ever had a tarot reading until that point that I ever took seriously, at least besides sort of passing what we would call normally a gypsy in the West Village, you know, who's had a little ball and was dressed up like something out of an old movie. But I had a tarot reading right before I turned 40. And this woman said, you're approaching your death year when you're 40. And I was like, oh my God, what's a death year? And that's obviously a year where sort of your whole life burns to the ground and you have to rise from the ashes. So actually, it was quite serious. I met a doctor named uh, Dr. Kelly Brogan at a coffee shop who wrote a New York Times bestseller. We used to share patients with each other. And I met her at a coffee shop a little bit before I turned 40 and I was engaged at the time. And we had this very open conversation that she wasn't prescribing medications anymore to any of her patients. And we had referred patients back and forth to each other in New York City. And she looked at my ring and she said, I have to tell you, I don't think that's going to be there in a couple of months. And I had gotten divorced and I was had been dating somebody for a year and a half and I was already re-engaged and I was very much in love. And I looked at her, I was like, no, what do you mean? I like have no idea what you're talking about. Like, we're really happy. And 
in that conversation, I it registered what she had said, but we also started talking about a medium that we had heard about in New York City. And I had had some patients come into my office bringing tapes of his. They had lost somebody that they loved. And so they were all sort of seeing this one medium downtown, just so happens. And I would listen to the tapes. And again, because I do have a religious background, I was like, okay, check, got it got it. Like God's out there. Thank you so much. There's no way this guy would know this information. Like he's obviously connected to something else. What was really freaking me out a little bit at the time or had been that I had never confided to anybody was that in my sessions with people, if they got to a really deep place in my office or there was some massive insight that was happening, I would see the light change in the room. And I never told anybody about it. It was just something that I noticed and I... I sort of noted, but I never said anything and I never connected it to spirit. At the time, I didn't... I mean, it was less in our vernacular than it is now, right? Spirituality has become very, very popular just even over the last 24 months. But at the time, reading energy wasn't even like in my mind. Like I didn't know that people could do that. So Kelly, this Dr. Brogan had suggested I go to a, a meeting with about 40 people in the Flatiron one night after work where there was going to be a man there talking about consciousness. And I was like, what's consciousness? Like that, even that was still not something we were talking about. And I went to this class and it sounded to me very much like the secret. Like I was like, and I looked at her, I'm like, oh my God, I'm sorry. Like this is, I can't. Like I just don't, I just like, I never bought the secret when it came out. I was like, that's sort of sweet. And like, yeah, I believe that our minds on some level or actions on some level control how we behave and what we do with our life. Like obviously I've been trained in cognitive behavioral therapy, but even at that point was like, this just sounds a little too woo-woo for me. And she said, just hold on, just stay open. And he came to this one point in the lecture and then he said, did anybody else see the light change in the room? And I had. I had very specifically seen the light change and it was this light that would come into the room like a fog and it was dark outside. So it wasn't as if the light would have changed because the sun had gone behind clouds, right? It was very distinct to me. And after the lecture was over, I was very shaky And I said to Kelly, did you see the light change? And she said, no. And I went up to the teacher afterwards. And the first thing he said to me was, did you see the light change? And I said, yes. And he said, I said that because of you. And he said, you're a bridge. You're what we call a bridge. And I had no idea what he was talking about. They asked me all to go out to dinner. I said, no way. (laughs) I was totally freaked out. And I'm not a drinker. And I was heading to the train over to Grand Central and I went into a California pizza kitchen because I'm like, so like, I don't even know where to go to have a drink by myself in New York, even though I've been a New Yorker my whole life, essentially. I went into a California pizza kitchen and I ordered two really strong cocktails, tequila, and drank them before I got on the train because I had had, you know, what would someone describe a paranormal experience confirmed when you have these experiences on your own, you're like, okay, well, maybe I'm just a little crazy. And you don't really talk about them to anybody at the time. I certainly didn't. I didn't want to discredit myself and sort of how hard I had worked on my education and my clinical background could be at stake if you sort of come out about these things. And I had worked really hard at those things. And so I went home and that was sort of right before Thanksgiving by... A week after my 40th birthday, I wasn't engaged anymore. 
my whole life was either falling apart or some would say falling together. I was having all of these kind of synchronicities every single day happened. Signs were showing up everywhere. And I completely fell down the rabbit hole. And that was a really... It was an incredible time, but it was also very frightening to feel that open. And my spiritual awakening happened very, very quickly. And you're sort of living in the ashes of your life. So on one level, you feel... At least for me, I felt really stoned and high all the time. And on the other level, I felt enormous amount of grief. But we say that enlightenment happens sort of in the ashes of grief. And so I was really grieving my marriage for the first time that had ended. I was grieving this relationship that had just ended as well, right on top of it. The griefs of all of the patients I had seen throughout my life, uh, where my life hadn't gone by the time I was 40, where I was going. And then this whole new connection to spirit, to the other world, to the universe, to the woo-woo, to... And then I really started dipping into like past life regressions and reading a ton. Joseph Campbell came across my desk. You know, I believe that books show up when you need them to. And I felt at the time that there wasn't really a lot of support for people going through spiritual awakenings. That was really a painful thing too, because I felt very alone in the process. And I was sort of having to cobble together massive amounts of information to learn the language and the what to and how to articulate what I was actually experiencing. And so this also became a point for me by the time like another six months had passed where how can we start to gather together as a community to help people and support them as they're having their spiritual awakenings and give them a language for what's actually going on with them because it can be really frightening. It is. And thank you so much for sharing that because so many people feel alone and some people have a spiritual awakening that's quick and some people it's it sort of develops over time. And it sounds like yours was very fast, very quick. And going back to what you said about the credibility, you know, here you are working with people and, you know, a psychotherapist and to say that you see the light change in the room, ooh, that's a little weird, right? So you had it, all of those things were coming in and, and shifting and then your whole personal life was shifting and it questioning everything. So at that point, did you continue to work and just try to figure it all out? Did you find a teacher? What support could you find? Yeah. And you know what? For me also, I had a lot publicly at stake because my credibility is sort of in the public eye in the sense that when I do, I've, you know, I'm on CNN and MSNBC as an expert and, and mostly Fox, which is not necessarily going to be the most receptive place to new agey, quote unquote, new agey ideas, which I hate that term. And so, you know, it's like, how much do I talk about this in public? But on the other hand, I've been such a huge believer in us having to, or at least for myself, and I hope for other women and to encourage other women and men to come forward and speak their truth. And even though that comes with a bit of trepidation, you need to model it, right? That having that confidence to be able to talk about that this was actually happening to me and has it been happening to anybody else? And I don't have a brain tumor, right? I'm not like seeing these things because of some medical reason. So can we talk about it openly? And thank God, I, you know, I just started to answer your question. I just started reaching out to as many people, both within the medical community who are also having these awakenings, who had very formal educations and I could really trust their opinions. And then to alternative teachers who I just thought were absolutely brilliant, who maybe didn't have that kind of formal education. So I very much started to cobble together 
a series of practitioners and a little bit of a community to help support me. I went to past life regression therapy. I dipped into tarot. I tried ayahuasca. I you know, went on a bunch of retreats. I read as much as I possibly could. I started practicing meditation every day. I started doing uh, kundalini yoga. So I really just was trying to figure out all of these modalities and what they meant to people. And that was very helpful. That really helped for a while. Well, that kind of leads me to my next question because I'm a big proponent of telling people about a daily spiritual practice and it could look different for different people. And so do you have now a a daily practice, a meditation practice, or what would you say connects you to now that you've gone through the awakening and hopefully have the support and the community? What connects you to yourself on a daily basis and what connects you, you know, like I say, like almost like an anchor. You know, it's really, that's such a great question. And now that I'm almost two full years from that experience, I'll be 43, I guess three years. That's crazy. Um, From that initial experience, from sort of the drop from the cliff, I've gone through a different phase now. So I just had a, I just did a podcast with Jess Lively. I don't know if you've ever listened to the Jess Lively show. She has an enormous amount of shows. She's got over 10 million downloads and she talks quite extensively about human consciousness and the spiritual world and sort of her journey through it. And it was really interesting to do this podcast with her because we were talking about what is the phase after the awakening, which is really quote unquote enlightenment. And she said that staring at her eyeballs no longer took her anywhere. Like meditation didn't take her any place else after she had her original spiritual awakening and where she feels the most alive and connected and in source and in the light is now teaching the concepts, which I thought was really like, that's where she finds her flow. And so I thought that was really interesting because my meditation practice has definitely dropped off. My meditation practice was like the thing that really made me feel completely grounded and connected to spirit when I was first going through things. And I would much prefer a life where I was meditating every single day in part because I know that it calms the parasympathetic nervous system and in part because it connects me to spirit and in part because it just simply creates space between your reactions to other things that irritate you, right? Like I'm less likely to snap at my kids if I'm meditating every day. Right. (laughs) Like it just, it, it like hit, it like puts life on a little bit of a slower pace internally and energetically, I think in a good way. It doesn't mean that you're not accomplishing as much every day. I just think it like, it kind of like makes you feel like you're nicely like in a beautiful pond of water all day long. And when I was in a lot of pain and when I have been in a lot of pain and my mom's quite sick with cancer now, God knows I'm going to be meditating with an alarm morning, noon, and night to get me through it. I mean, meditation can really like, I believe, save your life, especially when you're in in, in a lot of pain and in a lot of grief, going through grief and mourning. At this point, what's happened to me is that sort of after I had that initial awakening and sort of the dust settled a little bit, I just genuinely feel if I'm breathing and I'm taking deep breaths throughout the day, super connected to spirit. I love that. I I just, so it's like, I don't have to just called it playing in the spiritual sandbox, like all the tarot and the, and the crystals and the oils and 
ayahuasca and doing all that stuff. I wouldn't necessarily agree with her there. I think those practices can be incredibly supportive for people. And so to put them in the category of a play, like a into a sandbox, like that it's kids play, I actually think I wouldn't necessarily call it that, but I understood what she was saying, that there's sort of another phase outside of the sandbox. And for me, it's sort of, can you or it doesn't even feel like I'm trying. It just feels like I'm sort of a living as close to source as I ever have or as close to my intuition as I ever have. So for example, one of my best friends now is a tarot reader. And so she'll, I'll be going through something and she'll say, come over and I'll read your cards for you. And I always smile and I love her to do it because it's really great. But I already feel like I know on some deep level what the cards are going to say. Yep. I don't know what card she's going to pick. Do you know what I mean? It's just like, oh, like I don't necessarily need the external because I feel like, and I wish I could see through the matrix more, (laughs) of course, right? I wish I could see into the future like we all do. We say we want to, but really humans are happy not knowing. Like there would be no mystery if we actually knew. So people always come to us and they say, can you tell me the future? And it's like, you think you want to know it, but when we've done studies on people, you really don't want to know it. Like that mystery keeps us going. So, but I do feel like I have a strong sense if I do show up every day and I put myself out there, that the things that I want to manifest will happen. They might not happen in the exact way I want them to, and they might not happen on my timeline. But the best way to make God laugh is to tell him your plans. So I think I make God laugh like all day long because I'm constantly telling him my plans. Well, I say him in, in the sense of spirit because I don't believe that it's like a him anymore. It sounds like you're tapped into your spirit. It sounds like you're tapped into your intuition because you're in the state of source or connected to source all day long. And so what you're explaining and what you're sharing is really that intuition. And even though it would be fun for maybe someone to pull cards for you and not that, you know, maybe you'll, you know, inside, I think that's what it is. It's an inner knowing from inside of how you're feeling about things. You know, I teach a lot about intuition and a lot of the courses that I teach and I work predominantly with women and we talk about everyone has intuition. And then it's just a matter of building that muscle because It truly is, you know, I always ask the four questions. How does it feel? What do you see? What do you know? What do you hear? And if you approach every situation like that, it's an inner compass. You know, you go through your life in this inner compass of of navigating, right? Of navigating the ups and the downs. And it's it's sounding like that that's what you're doing. You're listening to that inner voice. You're listening to intuition. So although it'd be interesting to how those tarot cards pulled... You already know you have that inside. Yeah, I th- it was really interesting because again, and I'm gonna refer back to Jess here. She was talking about how at the first like few years of her journey, she was very much in her head, like what if I can I manifest what I think, right? Which is sort of the basis of CBT therapy. Like it, our cognitive thoughts affect our behaviors. So can I sort of think my way into what I want to happen? And I believe there's energy in those thoughts. I believe that there's massive energy in sort of writing the list down of like goals, like you know, Rachel Hollis says, hope is not a plan, (laughs) right? Like, so I think that sometimes people do a lot of spiritual bypassing and thinking like, if I meditate, I ask God for these things, like, won't it kind of just happen? And it doesn't really work that way. So you do have to act upon the things that you are, the intentions that you're putting out into the world. Like you have to put energy and move that energy forward to that place. 
But for me, the CBT therapy always felt fell really flat pretty quickly after graduate school because when I started working with patients, and this is the beauty about having all this clinical experience, it only took them so far because the place that you learn after having a spiritual awakening that really resonates is not the mind because the mind's a slippery fish, right? We can't always control the mind. We can't always control our thoughts. It's working from a place of heart, from soul. And so to open your heart as much as possible and to be able to navigate life through that portal, I think is really both calming and powerful at the same time. And I also, what the spiritual awakening did for me as well, and this was the trippiest part of it, is that if you start to believe in sort of the astro body, that we're all one, And sometimes these cliches can sound super annoying and dorky and whatever. But the reality is for me, my reality is, is that you and I are the same because we're all energy. So I know you're a separate person for me in a female form right now, but, and I'm like, quote unquote, separate person from you, but I don't really feel that way. I can see it, but that's not what I feel. So for example, your accomplishments feel like my accomplishments. So jealousy and ego really start to dissolve in that space. If you feel it, you're not just thinking it. So for example, when people say to me, how can you be on Tucker's show, (laughs) Tucker Carlson, you seem like you genuinely like him. I actually do like Tucker. I, I, you know, I don't agree with everything he says and I think he's got a really powerful platform and I wish sometimes he'd use it differently. But I very much feel like he's my brother and he's an expression of one side of ourselves. And so the best way I've ever heard this put, and I can't remember which spiritual teacher I read who said it, but it's as if we're all a diamond and there's different facets of the diamond. And we are all just different facets, but we're all one diamond. So when you work from that place and you really feel genuinely that way about people, it's an exquisite way to move through life. That's not to say that I don't feel sad. I think it's very difficult still to be happy every day. I think being light is much more difficult than being heavy. So I don't want to say I walk around in a state of bliss and I actually don't want to. Elizabeth Lesser once said to me, she runs the Omega Institute and is a gorgeous writer wrote Broken Open. um, Oh, I love that book. That's one of my favorite books. She's incredible. And at the end of the interview, she said to me, I don't want to be... I said, said, do you want to be happy? She said, I don't want to be happy. I want to be moved. And I'm really of that ilk. Like I love to be moved deeply. It's not always a great thing (laughs) because you know there's an emotional volatility to that and a really raw open heart when you live that way. So it doesn't mean that sort of hitting this phase feels like I don't have to pick myself up every day. I mean, this morning I didn't want to get out of bed. I wanted to lay in bed with my daughter all day long and not take her to school and not do the the tasks that I needed to get done today. But if you can kind of motivate and start going about your day, and again, that's where a meditation practice is really helpful or whatever you do to move within this space. I don't feel much anxiety at all. And I don't really feel any kind of depression. And that's pretty amazing. That is pretty amazing. 
I also mm. eat really clean and I believe that nutrition is, is curative. So I'm not a purist by any stretch. I had chocolate on my uh, bowl this morning, <laughs> but, um, and I drink coffee, but I think that also really helps. Like I really try to take care of my health every day. No, it absolutely is. And there is so many facets. You can't just have, you know, we always work with working in balance, just like the chakras, just like our life. And so nutrition is, it's another whole amazing topic, but it's, it's true. When you can eat as clean as to the earth as possible, there is more clarity. There's just a difference. And so, and there's always that 80-20 rule, right? Like the sometimes food, but for the most part, it's really living consciously. That's what we're talking about. You know, what I'm thinking as you're talking is what a gift that this, you know, and I know you went through a lot of also really challenging times and difficult times, but what a gift to give the people that you work with. Because from that spiritual awakening, I'm so sure that your practice has changed and how you show up for the people that you help, it must be profound. It must be you profound. Know, it, what's, what's interesting that happened was that I think it, with anything, as you did, you started you know, working in, in the podcasting world years ago, is that you hit a certain stage after treating, at least for me, uh, individuals and, and couples and doing some group work. I started to feel like I needed to go back into teaching and media. I actually have an MFA in writing, creative writing and journalism as well. So I have two master's degrees. And I only say that because I have two loves in my life. And so I really felt like I wanted to go back into teaching. So I'm not seeing as much patience as I once was. And I do miss it because it's a very sacred ground to walk with somebody. And I also miss community. Like I think what you're doing is so amazing because I'm looking at you right now on Skype. Like your your listeners don't necessarily know that, but you're a very trusting face, right? And you've made the woo-woo or spirituality or things that might have seemed out of the box a while ago that don't seem so out of the box now, very accessible for a lot of people because you look like a regular woman. You know what I mean? And I don't think we had... It's funny. I don't think we had a lot of images of that until more recently, right? We sort of thought that people who experimented the woo-woo sort of were that hippie, tree-loving, hugger kind of woman. And there's nothing wrong with that. God knows. Like we need, I, I need those. They're creatives. They're artists. They're, they have an artistry to their practices that I completely enjoy. But there's space for sort of the other as well in that. And there's space for serious clinicians and doctors. And I thank God they're opening themselves up to it. And medical schools are starting to of thinking about human consciousness and alternative healing as the sort of the the more true path to heal people uh, here on earth. So I don't feel as uncomfortable now as I once did talking about past lives and soul packs and, <laughs> you know, all the kind of stuff that I, I've come out about. I mean, I came out about doing ayahuasca publicly. I've only done it twice, but I came out about it and someone called me and said, you might want to get a lawyer. <laughs> I was like, oh, <laughs> maybe you're right. But like no one's come knocking yet. So right. I found it like a really powerful healing medicine. So I, you know, I can't necessarily recommend it without losing my license, but I'll talk about it. And you know, the thing about being really 
vulnerable and speaking our truth is allowing other people to speak their truth, yes. right? So the same thing and, and, you know, sharing that, I get that a lot from people. People will say, you know, you're very earthy, you know, I know you're woohoo and you do mediumship work and intuitive work, but I feel comfortable. And, you know, I think I'm also a Capricorn, so I'm a very earthy sign. So I'm very Oh, I knew that's why we got along. I, oh, I'm a Sag. My, oh, like, there you the, go. When you got on, I was like, oh, she could be like my new best friend. Well, Sag and, and Capricorns so, get along really well. So. so well, my two best friends in the world are both Capricorns or yeah. they're actual, they're other Sagittariuses. But I, if I meet a Capricorn, it's like immediate. Always, always, always. My sister and my son are both Sag. So I know I get along really well. And, and so I have that earth quality. I have that earth the grounded quality, but I can also be, you know, in the realms and work in the realms. And I think that that's it. You know, we used to think, especially where I started out with was yoga. So it was the turbans and the, the flowy, you know, God forbid you had a handbag that it was a designer bag, you know? So yeah. it's like, no, it yeah, there was no room. You were. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Right. I know. It's like someone said to me, um, one of my favorite intuits always talks about like, we need to bring luxury to the soul. Like she loves her, you know, she's incredibly talented into it in medium. And she walks around with like Chanel and drives a Mercedes, <laughs> which I think is great. And I actually think that we really need to keep breaking down the stereotypes of what sort of enlightened beings look like. And I, I use that word enlightened very carefully because as a spiritual person, I never want to say, I, I wrote a book called My Death Year. and. Um, and, it, you know, it'll be published this year. And it's quite, it, it was, the entire book is about sort of the phases to enlightenment. And I really struggled with the book because on some level, I don't want to say I'm more enlightened than somebody else. I don't, like if, if you're walking the spiritual path, that doesn't feel very spiritual to me. It's to classify myself as sort of having something that other people do not. So, and plus, because the end of the enlightened path to me is the more, you know, the less you understand, <laughs> right? Right. So it's the enlightenedness is actually openness to perspective and ideas and to people because the end of enlightenment, whatever it is, is really love, mm. is love for the earth, love for our fellow humans, love for the universe, just an overwhelming sense of love. We don't have in our society a lot of women that we see are enlightened uh, throughout history, right? We have a lot of male figures. We've got Jesus, we've got Buddha. Even in the popular literature of the last 50 years, we always talk about Eckhart Tolle or Joseph Campbell. We don't necessarily reference a lot of women. And that bothers me. Mm. And I think that's why it's so important that women step up to this truth because not only are they highly intuitive, but there's a different form that this can take to lead people into the light. Yeah, I agree. And one of my biggest missions this year, I've been speaking to a lot of different spiritual teachers is spiritual leadership. And you fall into that category as well because spiritual leadership is taking our voice as women, and I'm going to say spiritual leadership for women, taking our voice as women, empowering other women, creating that community, you know, creating that tribe, and then allowing us to kind of step into where we are. And, you know, there's another whole advocacy part of that is 
being who we are and also taking our genius, taking our gifts and helping others, as well as providing a spiritual business for ourselves. You know, there was, there was always, that's another whole topic of, you know, as we create this, this spiritual community, there's also this idea of the old, you know, the money set, you know, that you can't make money or share money or, and that we're breaking down those barriers as well as women, Mm -hmm. because in my kind of in my community and the people that I work with, it was still like, oh, come to a Reiki circle and, oh, you can leave a donation. You know, I'm like, wait, we, we provide a service. So there's a whole other component of spiritual leadership to empower other women. You know, I work with women in two different ways. I see women that come that are in a transition and want healing and however that takes form. And then I have other women that one healing for themselves, but they also want to pay it forward because I do work with certification and Reiki and courses. So there's like two, there's, they're all the same, but it's where they enter that spiritual connection. And then some will pay it forward and some will, you know, work on themselves and then eventually pay it forward, right? To their family. Because I really believe that we take what we need, we take care of ourselves and then however we pay it forward. It could be with a client, it could be building a spiritual business, or it could be in their family. Because the more we take care of our spiritual self, the better we are for the people around us. So there's a whole, there's a whole topic of spiritual leadership. And so I, I commend you for that. Um, Maybe you never heard that, heard it that way, but I I find spiritual leadership for women is so powerful as we step into our power. Yeah, I do too. And I, uh, that's honestly sometimes why I think about wanting to go back for a seminary degree, because I think that there's something very powerful about being affiliated with a particular church and doing that. Cause we are seeing spiritual leader. Like that's kind of your classic way to look at spiritual leadership is coming out of church organizations. But I think that's probably not a reality in my life. And I think we are finding some spiritual leadership for certain in people like, for me, Glenna Doyle Melton. Uh, I think she has some really, really like an, a unique way of approaching the work that needs to happen through a spiritual perspective. She's been a great example of it. I think someone like Brene Brown has also been a great example of of doing this kind of work. Yeah, I think we're starting to sort of look up to those women in ways that we haven't before. And that's great. I think the money piece as well. I mean, you're certainly onto something there. And, you know, I think women, I've always felt deep down that I wish I never had to be paid for the work that I do. It doesn't come from a place of low self-esteem. It just, it's very awkward to hear someone talk about their problems and then ask them for a check afterwards. Yep, It's just a nasty setup in my opinion, like I, it never felt in, in the whole psychotherapy world about sort of like, is there an unconscious driver to not get people well? Because the way you feed your children is by having that client return. So it's, it's quite an awkward space for healers to be in. And I don't know if there's any easy solution to it, but I definitely think that we need to encourage many more women to take care of themselves through finances, through money. And money is just the energy that gets exchanged, right? It's silly. It's a piece of paper. Exactly. Like we invented it. <laughs> so it's just about like... And I also think sometimes it's easier to say to women that it's not just for you. It's not selfish to, to, to take the money. 
you can employ other people. Like that always right there makes me feel really good. Like this isn't just about for me or for what I need to buy or for my kids. It's actually about creating a sustainable business so we can employ hopefully other women to live a really nice life. So that's the place I'm in now. Um, I agree. And also I I just get really mad that women only get like 7%, 3% to 7% of all VC funding out in the United States right now. And that's not fair. And so I'm going to work really hard to make sure that more women get funding because let's say that half of all American women who are divorced in this country live either on or below the state of poverty. So that really scares me because then you think about all the children who are living below a state of poverty and going to bed hungry every single night. So there's a major ripple down effect that we don't think about every day. Yeah. Anyway, I know. Believe me, I can be on the soapbox all day. (laughs) There's so much. There's so much. Thank you so much for having me on. Before we wrap up, I just want to... Oh, you're welcome. I want to wrap up with what does intuition mean to you? What would you say that is? Oh, such a great question. Uh, It's so funny because I've done like entire shows on intuition. Uh, What does it mean to me now? I like how you said before, what do you see when you talk about intuition? And what I see inside me when we talk about intuition is the cosmos. I see stardust. And I see just if I, whenever I shut my eyes and want to drop into my, or I feel like I live from a very intuitive place all the time or as much as I possibly can. And so it just feels like the infinite. It feels like infinity to me. And it feels like connecting to something infinite and across the veil. For me, there's really no veil anymore. And I feel that most powerfully when I'm talking to someone like you. I wish it's a good thing and a bad thing because I think at the end of um, the movie dances with wolves. There's a line where they talk about Brad Pitt and they say that he lived in the borderlands. And sometimes when I'm talking to other intuits or I'm surrounded by that powerful energy, I'm like, Oh God, I can't live in that place 24 seven. Cause I can get really borderlandy. <laughs> I don't know if you know what I mean. I do. I do. Yeah. And like, you have to come back to earth, right? You have to come back to making macaroni and cheese for your kids at night. And right. This is where we live. <laughs> this is where we live. Right. And it, are you, your mother, your mother, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, especially the mothering, the kind of the, the more sort of, sorry to say moms out there, but the tedious side of mothering. Uh, really ground you, <laughs> right? When they're fighting over the channel changer kind of thing. So I feel that most intensely when I'm talking to another intuitor, I'm surrounded by them. I feel that infinite power and that that beautiful space. And that's that it doesn't even feel like I'm crossing the veil. There is no veil. It's a little trippy, but when it's present, it's it's absolutely gorgeous. And again, not only does it dissolve sort of the negative feelings of ego and jealousy, it also dissolves any sort of fear of death that one might have because you realize that you're just crossing over into something else. And I think that that is really a key part to having a spiritual awakening 
is that what what does life look like for your listeners when you don't have fear of death? And it doesn't mean you might not fear what it's going to feel like to die, but that you're really unafraid of going home. Um, so then for me, the fear becomes accomplishing everything I want to do in this human life, <laughs> in this incarnation. Right. Uh, that is ticking at my back all the time. But in, on my best days, I don't have a fear of the quote unquote unknown because I feel like my intuition tells me I know exactly what it is. Does that make sense? <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, this has been... We could talk for hours. I feel yeah. like I... I hope we get to meet in person. I would love that. Let's do that. Let's make that happen. I will. I will. Thank, thank you, you so, so much. much. And thank you for all sharing and just being real and sharing with women and sharing with everyone out there what you know your experience and how you pay it forward and you help people each and every day. So... Thank you yes. for work. So thank you. Thank you. And if they do happen to listen to the podcast we just launched, I'm not necessarily doing all my shows on spirituality. I just had Valerie Young on and we were talking about the imposter syndrome. Please, please, I would love any suggestions that they have because you need that feedback and that's crucial. So and your feedback as well. I appreciate it. Thank you. Where can people find you now? Um, we have the show on Facebook. It's a Facebook actually tap me about nine months ago and said, we think you'd do well having a show. And I was like, oh, okay. I said, yes. And I say yes to just about anything. And then all of a sudden I'm like swimming in the sea and I'm like, oh, wait, I said yes to this. But it's great. We filmed it in New York. We had launched a podcast, but I didn't want to continue it until I actually could film it live because I feel like the human interaction is... I, I desperately need it. And it, it changes the conversation when you're actually sitting with somebody. And so I through hitting the ground and hustling, I manifested a space in Union Square and we have a beautiful studio that we film out of. So right now it's on Facebook Watch, which is at Nell Gibbon Daily. And then we rip the audio from it and then we put every episode up on podcast and you can listen to it you know, on all the usual suspects, Stitcher, Google Play, iTunes, Spotify, it's all there. So, and then on Great. Instagram, I think Instagram has become my biggest platform, which yeah. I resisted for so long because of the kids. I just thought I can't stare at my phone any longer, but um, I'm at Instagram at Nell Daily. So, Great. Okay. Thank well, you. Well, thank you so much. It's always thank a pleasure. You as well. Thank you so much for listening. Make sure you stay connected with me on social media. I am the intuitive woman on Instagram. And my Facebook group is the Intuitive Woman Facebook group. That is where all the magic happens. We connect in community and we talk about spiritual topics. If you enjoy the show, I would love if you can rate and subscribe on iTunes and Apple Podcast and share it with a friend. Have a beautiful day. Namaste. Namaste.